Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down a, well, it's going to be a pretty uh, robust set of discussions involving the Parramatta Eels and NRL News is my good mates, 60s and Quint. Boys, uh, fair to say it's been a torrid week in terms of results for the club, uh, with the Jersey flag being the only team to get up last week, but we've got some news and some talking points to discuss. How are we holding up ahead of all that? Well, I think you know I've been pretty flat out over the last few days. John, it's been one of those weeks coming off quite a batch of losses for the Eels club, as you said, outside of the Jersey flag team. Going into a post that I put up yesterday about the Eels roster decisions for this season, which has been leading to well, on the site, some robust discussion and my phone basically not stopping for the last 24 to uh, 30 hours. And um, we're now getting into what will be a pretty busy podcast in terms of the, the different areas that we want to talk about. But Clint, what about you? How are you doing? Yeah, look, you know, on a personal note, gents, outside of uh, what's been going on in rugby league, um, it's uh, budget time at my workplace. So that just is really rubbing the salt into the wound for me. But, um, you know, uh, obviously last Friday's result, um, you know, uh, topped what's been a very rough week at the home of the 2016 Nines champions. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like the rest of us, but uh, you probably picked up our... our our, our careful listeners picking me up being a bit cheeky there and something that we'll probably touch on a little later. Yeah, no, I like that. The 2016 Nines champions. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Let's recognise an achievement like other people prefer exactly. to do as well. Just celebrate all results regardless of how you got there. Okay. <laughs> and uh, speaking of celebration, boys, as always, a shout out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Narellon and Parramatta, helping us get up these episodes each and every instalment. So thank you to both of those parties. Let's get into it, boys. News team, assemble! And things are so bad that I'm back in charge 60s, so that gives you an indication of how we're going. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get into it, boys. Start talking Parramatta Eels news. It is Teamless Tuesday, so we've got a fair few things to get through across all four grades. Let's start with the big one, the NRL, where Brad Arthur has, well, he's got limited resources, but he's found a way to make quite a few changes this week. Team list are coming with changes to all three positional groups, the backs, the spine, and the forward pack. Uh, let's start with that back line. Isaac Lumilumi comes onto the left wing to replace Wanga Blake. Uh, Blake drops down to reserve grade. In the halves, you talk about players owing the team. Dylan Brown comes back. He's got a lot to do and not much time to make it happen. Uh, he pushes Dejan Arcee back down the reserve grade. Joe Ofengahi comes into the starting team. Is this his first start since he transferred across and got the calf injury? In, in the first game he played? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so he gets his second start for the club in that case, and he replaces Offagy Ogden, who also drops back to reserve grade. 
Uh, and probably the biggest twist of Team West Tuesday, Joey Lusick comes into the starting team, and not only comes into the starting team, but he replaces Brennan Hands completely. Hands dropped to reserve grade. I don't know if he's been rested, if they've identified something that he needs to work on, but that's how the cookie has crumbled. Ryan Madison moves from the interchange to the left edge in order to shore up that leaky defensive side. He'll obviously partner Dylan Brown, but also Bowie Simonson and Isaac Lumi Lumi on the interchange. Luke Amredi is the lone returning player from last week's bench, if I'm not mistaken, because Andrew Davey was starting. He's now on the interchange. Wira McGregg has been rushed back into the team after one reserve grade game back, while Mackenzie Magatol has been recalled into the uh, extended roster, the interchange roster rather than the extended roster. Speaking of the extended roster boys, most notable inclusion, Arthur Miller-Steven. I don't know if that's a nod to the young rook or if that's just an, a sign of how stretched we are for resources right now. Uh, but that's how Team West Tuesday has shaken out for our NRL team. What are your thoughts looking at this lineup? Well, mate, I think I, I, I want to, after we finish Team List Tuesday, I do want to have just a touch on the roster issue that I wrote about this week because I think we're seeing evidence of that still in the Team List as it's appearing at the moment. And you mentioned Arthur miller Stephen. You know, I, I, I thought he might have been a chance to get a, a wing spot this week. They've gone with Isaac Lumi Lumi. And, and look, that's fair enough. I think what most Eels supporters were concerned about was that Wonga Blake is so devoid of confidence and so out of touch in every aspect of play. I mean, we're, we're not talking about the fellows having trouble with uh, defensively. We're, we're talking about those problems have extended to catching a ball, to being able to finish uh, a, a, a scoring rush to the corner. It's, I think, unfortunately, Wonga's headspace is just so negative at the moment. And we have to feel for the fella because he is, he is a much better player than that. And whether he can get back to his better playing days with a, a change of club or a, a change of scenery, you know, if he goes to the Super League, whatever the case may be. But Wonga needs a change or he just needs a break away from the game just to recharge his batteries and, and to get him feeling positive. And I think when you when you see a player that is that they, they look so down on themselves, I'm hoping that the Eels welfare department's looking after him. I'm sure they are. Like I shouldn't say I'm hoping. I'm sure that they are looking after him because it's it, you just don't like to see it, do you? I mean, it's it is more than a form issue as far as I'm concerned. Do you think I'm on the right track, or am I barking up the wrong tree with that, fellas? No, I I, I don't think so. You know, and and as, as an extension of that, you know, we have to remind um, not just ourselves but everyone that um, these are human beings who have human experiences and human emotions, and you know. Uh, I, I don't want to unfairly speculate, but you know, he, his form line would suggest that there's probably something a lot more serious going on in his life than rugby league at the moment. And if that is the case, again, I don't want to speculate too harshly here or incorrectly for that matter. But you know, um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. These, these are humans, and if, if if he is going through something, well, I, I hope he's getting the support that he needs from his inner circle. Yeah, it's important to separate criticism of Wanga Blake, the player where you can say he had a bad game and then piling onto him onto social media and other channels, you know, telling him how bad he is at the game and how much he sucks. Uh, you know, he's had a bad game. Okay, move on. Yeah, it sucks for us as fans that we've, we've had a player playing poorly, uh, but that's the end of it. 
as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yep. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So looking back at the team list, of the obvious change with Dylan Brown and without question, we've missed Dylan both in attack and defence. And you can speculate and say how many tries would not have been scored if Dylan was in the team, especially over the, the last few weeks because Dejan had quite a good run across his first month of football. But when it's come to the, the last three or four weeks, then it's been a bit tougher, which it is for any player who is yet to have an established NRL career. So he's still in the early stages of his NRL career. That consistent, high-level NRL football, it's it's not what he's used to as yet. So we've paid the penalty for that extended period that Dylan's been out. As I said, you can speculate about how many tries that he that he would have prevented with not just his positioning, but his his defensive decisions and his and just that ability to cut down half breaks, like before they even eventuate into full line breaks. He's an absolute marvel at reading what's going on. But then you also look at the the absolute dearth of tries that have seemed to have occurred now with the on that left hand side. It's just it's not happening, is it? Like there's, there just isn't a, a, a threat. How many times did we go to the left last week and it just wasn't happening? Yep. So I think that's that's obviously a big change. Um, you spoke as well about Brendan Hands. Is that a tough call the BA's made, like to completely omit him from the 17? Or if, he's <laughs> prefers, if he prefers Joey Lussick, then do you understand him only going with one dummy half? I, I, I tend to err on the side that he's a casualty based on the way in which we want to manage our, our middle rotation. And, um, you know, um, Junior has had um, a very long um, year and a half of football. I, I think I read somewhere not too recently, and it certainly supports the, the eye test, that he's played the most um, amount of available rugby league games over the last year and a half, two year, or two seasons almost now. Of, of any player, um, you know, and he's had to he's had to um, play plenty of games without Regan Campbell Gillard, his partner in crime this year. So, you know, I I dare say that Brendan in this instance may be a casualty for how we want to manage those minutes. And um, you know, given that we've got an all forward bench and, and we've got Wiramu Greg also returning, who only played limited minutes in Cup last week, it's about managing the minutes of of those two players. And then, as well as the rest of the middles, with whatever plan we go into that uh, in, into uh, the St George game with. Yeah, and um, the starting of Joe off in Galway, it's that's a big step up for Joe. Now, I think as far as Joe's addition to the team this year, we haven't seen the best value from it as yet. To be fair, I mean we've. We're not seeing him at his best. I think for us to see him at his best, he's he going to need. He needs an Eels preseason. Absolutely yeah. correct. Without without that, he like it's like he's a guest out on the mm. field still. And, and don't get me wrong, I've watched him at training. He's fully invested in being part of the squad. He's he talks a lot to the younger players. He's he talk. He, he's a big talker out there, and he's. Um, he, he encourages the other players around him. He's, it's just that he, 
because he's only been a, a, an addition over the last few weeks, you can. I, it's one of those ones where you can go, he's new to the squad. Like you can literally see mm. he's new to the squad. And it, it's it's and I'm not sure if it's that he they haven't really defined his role or what his role will best be, or whether he has trouble with it out on the field. It, it, it's not a case of he's playing badly. It's just that I don't think we're getting the best out of Joe off in Galway as as yet. Uh, unfair call or or fair? No, I, I I definitely think you see glimpses of like good play from Joe, uh, but then, you know, whether it's he, he can't stay involved in the game or there's just an error or something like that. Uh, like you said, he hasn't been fully tuned into the Parramatta way right now. And, yeah, I think with a preseason, he'll be much better for it and a, and a more defined role within the team as well. Yep. Um, so, look, they're, they're probably my um, my main takes. Um, Anything you fellas uh, want to add about the about the team list? Well, the big news on the flip side was, of course, Jack DeBellon going to the judiciary tonight uh, to try and fight for a downgrade on... Uh, it's got to be said, I thought it was a, a complete non-event uh, for a hip-drop tackle, and he's actually lost, so he's out, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I got to feel pretty... I don't often feel uh, sympathy for a player or a person like JDB, but uh, that was probably on the tough side. Uh, in terms of the NRL Judiciary Match Review Committee, but he is out, which means there's going to be obviously a cascade of changes there. I'd expect someone maybe like Michael Moller to come into the starting team and then to bring uh, Jack Bird or maybe the other couchman into the interchange. I'm not sure. Maybe Ben Murdoch and depending on what they want to do. Uh, but yeah, the Dragons will be without their lock forward on Sunday. Yep. So now we look at the Eels uh, NRLW team. Yeah, it's... Uh, a case of treading water this week, boys. Uh, they were handily uh, beaten by the St. George Allura Dragons last week, and Dean Witters hasn't elected to make any changes to the team that went down, I believe, uh, with the same, well, the same modified team that was changed ahead of kickoff, now formalised on Team West Tuesday. Uh, we got an outside chance of Elsie uh, Albert playing, per the Team West report on powereels.com.au. She's named in the 22 jersey and will be given up until kickoff to prove her fitness. Uh, but with those calf injuries, you're never confident of a of a player sort of being on the right side of overcoming it a week early rather than a week late. So that means uh, going through one to seventeen, you got Church at fullback, Faye and Donovan on the wings, uh, Murphy and Tohi Hiku in the centres. Uh, the halves are Berryman Duff and the rookie Beckett, who I have to say had a pretty good game against the St George Lord Dragons. All things considering, uh, they made her make a lot of tackles and she missed a few, and that's you know the lump she got to take as a rookie, but. I thought she uh, kicked really nicely and organised pretty well and was uh, integral in two of the three tries scored, so that was good to see. Uh, in the forward pack, you've got O'Neill and Kennard Ellis in the front row, Charrington of the Reuben variety at dummy half, Murphy Stowers and Kennedy Charrington at lock forward and captain. On the interchange, it's uh, Paykow, Davis Welsh, Muru and Jones. Uh, extend the roster, Amiatu, Simon Hunt, Clark and obviously Elsie Albert, as we mentioned before. They're taking on the Newcastle Knights, reigning premiers, a team that broke their hearts in the grand final. Uh, this one is at Combank Stadium on Sunday. And can you believe it, boys? I know we talked about it in earlier podcasts, but round three, they've still got two more home games per the schedule. This is the last time they're at Combank Stadium all season. So they're on the road for the next six weeks. Uh, you talk about high-leverage games. Uh, they're going to be away from home, essentially, for the next six games. They need to have this one against Newcastle some way, somehow. 
Yeah, it's pretty tough when you think that you're in round three and it's your final home game of the season. Yeah, they've got quote-unquote home games at Cogra and Canberra. So a bit of a travesty there. Oh, I, I'm... I'm just befuddled by draws like this. It's uh, I know that what they're looking to do is they're they're looking to fit around the a schedule that where they're trying to have broadcast times. They're trying to make best use of venues, um, be it double headers or or fitting in with other NRL games. But when you can only get two home games in a season that doesn't help to sell um and, and look the eels do pretty well when it comes to sponsorships and what have you but it it doesn't help to sell membership season membership. tickets exactly yeah it, it doesn't help to build an interest in the team because people aren't in a position to go and see them live as much as they'd perhaps like to uh, you know, I'd, I mean, I, I'd be quite happy to, if they, it's obviously a challenge to play. You're not going to play too many standalone games at Combank Stadium with an NRLW team at this stage of the competition's development. But, you know, the, the Eels have got their set up there at Granville Park. A good number of people turned up for a trial game. I'm sure they'd be able to get a decent roll-up, you know, Two to 3,000 people at Granville Park, which would give a great atmosphere there. So, uh, but as I said, that's that's a uh, that's not a decision for the Eels. That's a decision for the um, organisers of of uh, broadcasting and the NRL themselves. So, you know, we move on. There's not too much you can say. Um, of course, the other thing is to the thing we have to face is that the team has already played a couple of sides that weren't tipped to feature in finals football and come out not just losing but losing heavily so is it realistic to expect that there are any chance of winning this week uh. Maybe. I know we've, we've got to. I know we've got to. You know, we'll be discussing these things in the preview. So, um, it's uh, you have to be incredibly optimistic. I feel like I know it sucks to to sort of spell it out that way, but based on what we've seen in the first two weeks, the issues with the you know effort and energy on both sides of the ball, like you said, sixties up against what was seen as on paper one of the weaker expansion teams even with their cohesiveness from the Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership and one of the weaker established rosters in the Dragons a team like the Eels that had a lot of its talent plundered away uh, ironically the Eels obviously signing two plays from the Dragons themselves who we haven't seen on the park yet but yeah it doesn't it doesn't bode well it doesn't augur well for what's coming up here especially when you take on a team like Newcastle who has an absolute superstar fullback in Tamika Upton and a you know a really handy set of players alongside the Southwell sisters. Uh, you've got uh, in the in the forward pack Yasmin Clydesdale, Caitlin Johnston, former real Rima Butler, who based on what we've seen from some of the other Eels running around the NRLW this year, I expect they have a huge game. Christian Pio has been outstanding for the Tigers. The uh, pair of players out at uh, the Sharks, uh, Ellie Johnston uh, and was it, no, Nevada George is at the Tigers. But they've all had really strong starts to the season, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Rima 
have a big game as well on Sunday. Well, I think you might remember last year, I was a big fan of Reece Yeah, Butler. out of the preseason, you sort of highlight yeah. her as one to watch, yeah. Yeah, uh, the preseason, um, the how, how she was at training, uh, just those glimpses that I got before she even started. I thought, this is a player to watch. And um, from memory, she... Um, she didn't get. Uh, she didn't play every game last year, I don't think. But or, or she might have played a bit off the bench. Uh, but I don't think we saw the opportunity to, you know, to see the absolute best out of her. And I was looking forward to her second season um, with the Eels. To be honest, um, she'd come from Wenty from memory. Um, so yeah, she, I mean, she was really that was the first taste of that level of football for her. So. Uh, I, I do expect her to have a big game. Um, yeah, I, look, I don't want to be negative about our NRLW team, but it's just a statement of fact that there will be a lot that will need to improve for the Eels to be able to match the Knights this week. And look, who knows? I mean, the, the Eels improved a lot in uh, last season towards, you know, once they got those first, once they got those uh, losses out of the way, um, they they went from you know a big loss or two at the start of the season to getting closer and then getting the win in that last round, sneaking into the finals, then upsetting the Roosters with a magnificent game of rugby league that um, was the best I'd ever seen them play. And who knows, maybe they can produce the best that they've ever played this week. They've certainly had an extra week to prepare with um, Rose Beckett at halfback and a couple of different combinations with uh, players in the uh, swapping centre and wing positions and back row positions around. So um, who knows, maybe uh, Dean Witters has struck on the right formula and an extra week of preparation and training might might be just what they've needed. And, you know, they, they can crack it this week. But anyway... Supporters get the chance to get out there and get behind them yeah. this week, and we'll and we'll talk more about it in our uh, our preview later in the week. I certainly, New South Wales. I was going to say, I certainly hope you're right, Sixties, because I think the the realist in me thinks that there's probably a parallel discussion uh, with the NRLW sort of along along the lines that we're going to short, talk about shortly. If your blog from yesterday, in terms of uh, the NRL's sort of strategy mm. and recruitment, I feel like the yeah. might have gotten the formula wrong in 2023. Yeah. Yep. Okay, the uh, New South Wales Cup, mate. Yeah, New South Wales Cup. Lots of changes, as alluded to, in the NRL team with a lot of players dropping down. Some players coming up. Uh, Artie Miller-Steven will be fullback. Uh, you got Chris Tupu and Wanga Blake on the wings. Jeremiah Masia is in one centre slot with the rookie Lachlan Blackburn coming up from Jersey Flag. He gets his cap, or maiden cap, rather, in New South Wales Cup this week. Uh, Dejan Arcee and Jordan Rankin, the halves. Kai Rodwell, Offie Ogden, the bookends with Brendan Hands. Uh, going in a dummy half. Jack Murchie, Charlie Geimer, and Dan Keir in the back row. Jaden Yates, Jonte Jr. Bethamiza, Nico Pelu, and the second rookie debutant, Noah Reed, coming up from Jersey Flag alongside Lockie Blackburn. Uh, these boys are playing at 11 o'clock a.m. out at Kellyville Park on Sunday. Uh, so I suppose you can you can make that jump from Kellyville to Parramatta. Might be a, a, probably a spot of bother trying to find some parking, uh, but there is a chance to go from uh, Reggie's to first grade. Uh, but yeah, the Eels taking on the Dragons, 11 v 9. So it's uh, pretty much academic for both teams, I believe, in this grade. Is it a top eight in Cup? I, I can't keep track no, of I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's top five. Yeah, so it's uh, 
pretty much academic at this point because uh, both teams, or the Dragons, are five points adrift of the fifth-place Panthers and the Eels, well, uh, they're about six points, seven points, is it? Seven points adrift, so they're miles behind. Um, have a look at have a look at the the uh, points differential. No, I choose not to. I, I reject reality <laughs> and substitute my own. Um, with the uh, yeah, Sunday morning kickoff here. Uh, looking at this Dragons team, uh, I mean we know Alexander Lobb from the uh, Junior Pathway Sixties. There's Trey Stewart, the other Fidei brother, um, Zach Herring, Paul Turner. So it's not a. It's, I mean Tao Tao Mong is probably the biggest name in terms of NRL experience there. It's not a loaded team there's probably a chance to get the win here uh add a little bit of credibility to their season uh results but again this is about play development so ams Lockie blackburn uh obviously big big hyphen john Jr. junior beth mesa charlie geimer noah reed they're all the players you're looking for to have good games yeah and we've seen a different mix of the uh, jersey flag players and even uh sg ball players get a little bit of uh, a taste of New South Wales Cup level football, which I think is a pointer to the future about what's going to happen with the New South Wales Cup squad next year. I'm hoping that that's the case. I'm hoping that it's the case as well when it it comes to who has full-time contracts, Mm -hmm. uh, full-time training contracts as well at the Eels, uh, whether it be on second tier or on development contract deals but anyway um i think we're we'll i mean we've got the we've got that preview that we will conduct later in the week so i don't want to do too much of a a dive there but we've still got the case where we've got a back rower playing at center and um it's an rmc winger as well holding a spot in the team yeah, if you've got to bone the pick, it's those two spots. I think, yeah, where uh, obviously you don't want to be throwing young guys into the fire. Uh, but Samuel Luizu is playing Jersey flag this week. I don't see any reason why he should be on the wing instead of Tupa or in the yeah. centres instead of Mamasia. Um, yeah, you know, it, it is. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. I mean we we don't we don't have an answer to that. Um, we um, well, I haven't. I haven't. I've watched a little bit of the Jersey flag. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at the New South Wales Cup. To be honest, I'm not sure whether I will because of what the <laughs> scoreline ended up. So I, I think the result speaks for itself. I, uh, it's really tough to watch the New South Wales Cup when they're struggling like they are because part of you wants to see um, something encouraging. And I, I don't know if it's possible for a player to stand out or to put their hand up to be selected when the team's getting 40 points put on them. Is it possible, Clint? Look, you know, I, I think you guys hit the nail on the head before in terms of, you know, at, at this point, it's just about getting some development games into um, the players of the future in this phase because, you know, a chance at the finals is gone. But, you know... Um, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, shouldn't take advantage of these games to 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 get this experience and these guys see how they react and you know because it's ultimately going to frame what their preseason schedule is going to be, you know, and 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 it's going to create a hierarchy for the future as you're alluding to. So, you know, um, yeah, there, there, there'll be some tough lessons for 
for, for some of those guys. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's absolutely been hard going. And um, so some of the points that we'll be discussing very shortly in terms of the roster, you know, no one, you know, yes, um, NRL has felt that, um, but, you know, we really see the, the depth of the problem in the second tier and, and how much they've uncharacteristically struggled um, this year compared to seasons gone past. Yep. Okay, John, we may as well dive into uh, you taking us through the Jersey Fleet team. Yeah, the last team to talk about before we get into the big talking point with your uh, blog. Uh, we'll start at fullback as always, Upper Tweedle on the wings, Kamalafi and Ethan Martin, Richard Penasini and Samuel Louisa on the centres. Joshua Lynn has dropped back to this grade at the return of Dejan Arcee to the New South Wales Cup. Your partner, Ethan Sanders, knows Blaze. Uh, not knows, no blaze Talangi this week, boys. I don't know if there's injury or suspension. Oh, I think play there. I think there might be. I think there might be an injury. Okay, well, hopefully a bit of luck there for Blaze because he's been uh, got that sort of Sean Lane-itis right now in terms of the injuries this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, been through the ringers. Uh, in the front row, Brock Parker and Tony Matelli are on either shoulder of Matty Alpha. Jock Brazel returns from a one-game suspension. He'll partner Max Tupu on the edges. Nicholas Lenars is the lock forward. Jacob Davis, Saxon Pryke, Sam Tuovaiti, and Lance Fawlima round out the interchange. Araz Namva is the concussion substitute. And these boys play 3.30pm on Saturday afternoon out at New Era Stadium, which is the Cabramatta uh, venue for those that aren't sure of stadium names. And they're taking on the Dragons. And this, you talk about those clutch or high leverage games, this is a big one. Last week they beat the Storm. and That was one they had to have. They were going to make a push for the finals. That actually brings them within one win of the fifth-place Melbourne Storm in a top-five system. Uh, the Dragons are in sixth place. The Eels are in seventh place. Uh, the Eels have a better for and against one win behind the Dragons. So a win here is a clean leapfrog, and it brings you potentially on path to Melbourne Storm right in the hunt for that spot in the finals. Well, you know, I'll tell you what the pity is. The Eels were leading by 20 points with about four or five minutes to go against the storm now you know what 20 points against that team would have meant i think they i think going into that round the i think the storm were 40 points better on differential that 20 points was it mm. take 20 points off them add 20 to what to the eels that yeah, wiped, that would have wiped out the differential instead uh they conceded two late, late tries and won by uh, the Eels won by eight points. Now, uh, it was a more comprehensive... Uh, well, it was the sort of comprehensive win that they should have delivered against the Storm when they played them at Kellyville. And it was a late try to the Storm in what was an error-riddled match from the Eels that week that, that literally handed the Storm the victory. And it was a real shame. Now, when I say handed the Storm the victory... The Storm were a bigger team than the Eels that day. And uh, I thought that the Eels did well to come back in the second half the way they did and get the lead. But, um, yeah, so last week they they were able to avenge that first-round loss. And you'd have to say that they're... I mean, they they do have a genuine chance of playing finals football. We've put a line through the New South Wales Cup. I like the fact that they've got... uh, See, Tony Mattaielli, he he hasn't just moved back from New South Wales Cup. They've had a change of position for him. They've got him playing in the middle. And I suspect that he was struggling on the edge. And uh, he he played a much better game 
in the middle of the field last week against the Storm than he had been playing on the edge. Now, admittedly, he was playing on the edge in a higher grade, but, fellas, I honestly think Tony Mattaielli has his future as a middle forward rather than as an edge forward. And it has a lot to do with uh, defensive positioning and decisions and also where the strengths are. And I think I think Tony's great strength is almost in a in a Tim Manor sort of way in that he can do strong charges, get to his get to his stomach, get up, quick play the ball. And I think there's a there is a place for people who can be strong performers in that aspect of the game within a within the team construct. And I think that's what he I think that's that's actually one of his strengths, just the power in which he carries the ball. And I think with a he's got very good leg speed. Uh, he's he's quite um, athletic for a front rower, and I think that would be to his advantage to have a player like that in the middle. So I like his inclusion in the um, in the Jersey Flags side as a middle. Um, Brock Parker's a, a consistent quality performer. Uh, Buds Arthur, well, you don't need to say too much about him. You, you've got potentially the best, the the person who who delivers the best pass in the club at um, at dummy half in the uh, Jersey Flag team. Uh, Jock Brazzle's basically swapped places with Charlie Geimer for a period of time now. Mm-hmm. But when I say a period of time, that's been a couple of weeks. Uh, Jock obviously out through suspension, but uh, the previous week. But Charlie's getting a little bit of a taste in New South Wales Cup. Jock's come back from his short stint up in New South Wales Cup back into the uh, flag team. Um, I think they're important changes. It'll be interesting to see. You, you, you said, and, and I agree with you, you can't see why Samuel Luizio wasn't um, playing in New South Wales Cup when they're using um, a second rower in the centre or a, a Ron Massey Cup player on the wing. So, But he's back in the... Um, Jersey flag team. He had a strong game at centre two weeks ago in the um, New South Wales Cup. So if he plays like that, then then it's a good addition to that team. Uh, we're seeing Ethan Martin lock his his place in on the wing, and we're big fans of uh, Ethan Martin and 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 how he plays. And um, yeah, and looking at the bench, it's a strong bench. Geez, when you've got Jacob Davis, who's uh, was a starter for New South Wales Cup last week and when he comes back to Jersey Flegg has to start off the bench. That's 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 probably an interesting swap around, isn't it? Like when, you know, a bloke can go from starting well, I don't know if he started last week or the week before, but he has started for New South Wales Cup. But he comes back when he comes back from New South Wales Cup, there he is on the bench for Jersey Flegg. So um look I think it's a very solid looking team and I look forward to talking a bit more about it in the preview. Anything to add, fellas? Well, I, I think it's more than just a solid team. To be, to be perfectly honest, I, I feel like it's probably the best um, uh, team we've put in like all year. Looking at it in terms of the team sheet, um, and it very much looks geared towards the finals push. Um, and hopefully, in doing so, uh, hopefully, in achieving the, the the goal of making the finals, pushing for much more. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think if they got to finals football, I think they can do some damage because there's a lot of self-belief in those young players. Mm. There really is. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, if they can get there, and that's that's really the only thing, that, and they're in a 
a similar position to the NRL in that they've still got a buy to come. So they've got a guaranteed two points in there amongst their matches. But they have to make sure that they get these matches like they did last week against a team that was ahead of them, get the match this week against a team that's ahead of them. But they also do need some matches then to fall their way. They have to keep winning, make sure that the have, have a situation where the, the Storm will pick up a loss before the end of the year. And, um, you know, if they can get that, that loss, then they're in a... Um, you know, then it becomes, I think it then becomes a matter of for and against. So a match like this where we might be confident of a win, we need to see them winning by as as much as they possibly can. Not that you've put your focus on, you know, worrying about the points at the start of the game. You just worry about getting the win to start off with and then the points should take care of themselves. But you can't afford to allow cheap points to the opposition and you've got to make sure you ice the opportunities when you get them. All right, so, um, yeah. Let's put I a think... wrap on the uh, team team news there because uh, water calls around Western Sydney have been a blaze. <laughs> a blaze, I tell you, uh, with a, a certain blog that was put up yesterday uh, where an intrepid blogger uh, by the name of 60s, don't know if you guys know him, uh, put up a diagnosis or an autopsy, depending on your perspective, I suppose, uh, of Parramatta's 2023 season in part one, an incomplete roster. And uh, it's lit up the comment section. Uh, I've had a lot of people pinging me about it, let alone your phone going off the hook, 60s. Uh, So there's a lot to break down here, and it's obviously a multi-part series. Uh, But this is something we've spoken about in length in various episodes, uh, in blogs, everywhere, about the construction of Parramatta's top 30 in this season and uh, how very much right now the, uh, the roosters are coming home to roost or the birds are coming home to roost the eggs are hatching in the bad way. I don't know how you want to spin that, uh, you know, analogy however you want, but yeah, the eels are very much in a hole when it comes to their roster. Yeah, part two, I'm going to be looking at player availability, which then ends up going hand in hand with an incomplete roster. Because if you've got, uh, as soon as you start getting significant numbers of players who are unavailable, and you've got an incomplete roster, then you you are talking about disaster looming. Or, or, you know, or the team's always walking on thin ice about how far they are able to survive. And and really, to be fair, for much of the season, I think the Eels, in retrospect, have performed admirably when you consider what uh, limitations there were with the roster. And, yeah, my, look, my phone's gone non-stop. If it hasn't been text messages, it's been phone calls. Um, the Obviously, the blog has just... Uh, run nuts so you know the thousands and thousands of people that have read it the um, approaching 100 comments that are on the blog already it's um, the consensus seems to be agreeing with um, my uh, conjecture about that in, in having this incomplete roster that the Eels were setting themselves up to have a tough season. There are, of course, many factors that go into the season, which is why I'm I'm having a series of posts. But when we break it down and look at the fact that the, the club hasn't got past having 28 players on the roster for the year, um, they, they started off with 28, but it wasn't really 28. 
because no. Nathan Brown was he was he was never going to play. So it was effectively twenty seven. We were looking at only having seven specialist outside backs yes. on the on the uh, on the roster. I mean, let let's think about it. And that seven included Hayes, who was coming back from that significant injury. It's include it included Wonga, who we know has had um, issues about you know probably his his confidence as much as anything else, um, and it was established very early in the year that he wasn't going to be there next year. So that's another thing I didn't put in the blog, but that's that's something that we need to acknowledge as well that the Eels pretty much said you know, you won't be retained next year. This is your last season with the Eels. So that's another thing to bear in mind. Um, Samuel Luizio, who's had his own injury issues uh, in, in trying to come through. He, he got an NRL debut a couple of years back at the end of the season, but he he really hasn't been able to string together uh, enough performances in a season uh, where he can get into any any form because he, he's he's picked up... A lot of leg injuries over the over the last two years, hamstrings, I think, in particular. Um, and then we're talking about uh, Bailey Simonson, who himself had a significant injury. It was in the grand final, wasn't it? The yeah, uh, on the, on injury. the big on the big line break in, at the, in end. the tackle from yeah. uh, Dylan Edwards. Yep. So he he did not train in the preseason. He was in rehab pretty much for the preseason. So. Again, what we're talking about is not only are the numbers narrow and thin, I, I mean, it's we're talking about there are question marks above such a, a, a small group of players. And it doesn't, it was never going to take too much in the way of injury for there to be a selection dilemma. And obviously, that's come home to roost, as, as you mentioned before. John, where we we probably had no intention of selecting Wonga due to you know where he was at with his headspace and you know self belief in his football in his own football, let alone how that how his form was going and the fact that he's been out. And the thing is, this is the other thing too. Wonga has spent a fair bit of time on the sideline with injury. Yeah, this he season broke his clavicle and then uh, got dinged up a couple of times since as well. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't. He basically missed about eight weeks of preseason, so that that's another thing that we should add as well. That by the time we got to the first round kickoff, you'd had Wonga who'd had a broken arm for pretty much the every every part of January and February of the preseason. You'd had Hayes Dunster, who had been in rehab for the entire preseason. You had Samuel Luizio who had been in rehab during the preseason. You had um, Bailey Simonson, who had been in rehab for the entire preseason. You had Mike Acevo, who had spent a number of weeks in rehab in the preseason. And you had, ultimately, Sean Russell, who, when picked for that uh, first round, got dinged up at training and missed the first round. So, look, I mean... That speaks for itself. And then you think, in, in us only having seven players, all of those seven players were there last season. They were also joined in the team last season by Sean Russell, uh, by um, 
uh, Tom Opachik. Tom Opachik left. We didn't replace him. Yeah, that one hurts. Like the, the club could suggest that Dejan Arcee was a replacement because he's a bit of a utility back. We're talking about replacing someone who was a specialist centre. And on top of that, Dejan had his own injury in the preseason as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, I I should have mentioned Dejan, but I but I have him listed as in the halves in the spine mm. um, as uh, when it came to breaking down the 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 top twenty eight and where the players are. Now I'm I'm completely ignoring the um, players on um, development contracts because that's a whole other issue that I'm going to talk about in in another post. And I'm ignoring uh, players that are training full time. They're on um, second tier deals, so they're, they're, the club plays them to to be there and and to train. And we've seen a number of those players come through and be first graders and and earn upgrades. So we're we're talking about Brendan Hans there. We're talking about Luca Moretti there. Right? So those those particular players have, have done really well as as uh, second tier signings. But the other thing too, and I didn't mention it in this in the post, was when you've got such a na- uh, such a small group of players for BA to select from. What's he going to do? Because we can use this very real topic. Would we suggest that Mike Acevo had been in great form during the year? No. Right. So no, he hasn't been, and you know he. Um, despite having a, a, a good try, um, a good try strike rate, um, he he's far been from the play that first burst onto the scene, and likewise, um, some of the form that he was showing throughout our run to the grand final last year as well. Okay, so Brad Arthur, if he's thinking to himself, you know what, Mike Acevo's not getting us the um, yardage meters. When we're coming from the backfield, kick returns, what have you, I'm not getting from Micah what I need. He is not in a position to go to Micah and say, look, I need you to go back to New South Wales Cup and I need to work on you, you to work on your yardage carriers, carries. And why can't he do that? Because he's got no one else that he could bring up in his place. So how is it that any of the players have any pressure to retain their form and, and – People might say they're NRL players. They shouldn't need that. Everyone knows that if you've got someone that's breathing down your neck for selection, you don't want to give them the opportunity to take your spot. There is there was nobody was going to breathe down the neck of Mike Acevo this year for selection. BA had no option but to keep him there. And I suspect... He would have loved to have given him a stint back in reserve grade and say, listen, you need to find your your meters in kick returns. You need to find that carry for us in yardage to get us out of our own end because we've talked about it through the year when we've done our previews. The meters that we, that we get from the back five – and, uh, you know, probably uh, Will's, Will shouldn't be in this and maybe Gutho shouldn't be in this discussion as well. Simonson's got a little bit better. Um, Sean Russell does well for a player who is not of the size of Mike Acevo. But the the the, the um, magnifying glass goes firmly on Micah for yardage 
absolutely firmly on him. So no option for BA. And and that really is is what it boils down to is that we hit the early part of the season. You can see just from a numbers perspective, we're down. Just looking mm-hmm. at it, even if all those players are fit, that's not quite enough for us. We've got caps. We've got the cap space. We've got um, the number space to to re- to put players in there. Have we added a back this year? No. We've lost more players, and we've added um, two forwards and a dummy half. The dummy half absolutely essential. The forwards, well. Okay, it's been handy to pick up Joe Offingawi and Andrew Davy, but were they going to make the difference? Is is Joe Offingawi? Is he producing play that's that different from say Offahiki Ogden, who's playing in New South Wales Cup this week? You'd probably suggest not. All right, if and if it weren't for uh, Sean Lane's injury. Would we be looking at Andrew Davey being in first grade now? Most likely it's debatable. Not. It's it's debatable. Most likely not. You know, you, you like you consider the great season that Sean Lane personally had last year, and you know, culminating in the the Kenthorne Medal at the end of season awards, and um, you know, him fit and and producing even um, half that form is uh, an absolute NRL starter playing 80 minutes every single week. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I think we're pretty well placed for middle forwards going forward Mm -hmm. uh, where we've probably got some uh, interesting edge and middle forwards coming through uh, from the juniors and maybe be still another year or so away from being able to dip their toe in the water. But again, I come back to a total of 28 players to start the season, not going above the going down at first with um, uh, the retirement of Mitch Rain, the moving and Jake Arthur moving on um, the retirement of um, Josh Hodson following injury, although the retirement's not confirmed, but we know he's not playing again this season. So we've gone down and at no stage, unless there's been an internal promotion, I don't count an internal promotion in this regard, if we had space to sign players to add NRL value and we had the money to add NRL value, we haven't added NRL value. And so my question is, from that post, what do we need to do? What does the club need to make changes in to ensure that that happens? And my belief is from... um, from my observations and from the bit that I know, we've got we've got people that are hardworking in uh, R&R and I believe we need more resources in that space. It is, a, it is an increasingly difficult job. You've got um, clauses in uh, rugby league players' contracts that make it hard to, to, to secure certain players. You've got player agents who... Um, have connections at other clubs and who play games with the clubs and can make it hard for you to secure those players. You've got the Eels who are um, very fiscally responsible, but do we get to a line where uh, we have to take, we have to pull the trigger 
and pay a, a little bit more if we've identified a target and we say we have to have this player to improve our prospects this season or or going forward, surely we get to a point where you go, you know what, we have to pull the trigger. We have to pay a little bit more here. It's not ideal, but we need player X. He is uh, something that we absolutely. want. Because absolutely. who knows? The, the fact is we might have a certain dollar amount in in our mind and they they're not random amounts they get you know the club works off um things like the typical dollars for uh player x in this position who the top earning players are in that position in the nrl so then you can see are you paying them the certain the, are you paying this player the same amount as a certain other player is that is that well above market value is it in market value so you've they've got all these things it's not it's not random what they're what these contracts are worth so it, that needs to be out there. It's, it, it's a, so what I'm basically saying is it's R&R is a tough job. And we've had to, the club mm-hmm. has had to work their backsides off to keep players. We've seen that. The competition has been there to try and pinch players off us. They're pinching juniors off us, right? You can imagine how hard the R&R is working with the, the way that player agents are playing games out there. So... I think we need extra uh, an extra person in retention and recruitment. I think we need to be excelling in in retention and recruitment in the NRL. If we are driving to be an elite club in Australian sport, not just the NRL, then we need that resource because that is an area where we're not excelling. That, and that's just the that's just the pure facts. We're not excelling in that area. If you haven't got a full roster, if you haven't got the number of backs that you need to complete the season, it means that you're not doing what needs to be done in that area. And how do you fix it? If you've already got people that are working hard in there, you add to that. You add resources to that department. And I don't think any. I don't think there'd be any supporter who would argue like if the club said we're going to bring in an extra person in retention recruitment because we need to do it better do you think there'd be anyone out there that would take up arms about that not at all i I think it would i think it would go down well with um with the with supporters as a whole i think they'd say yes yes do it do it so um anyway uh and again as you said it's it's brought up plenty of points of discussion on uh, TCT. It's it's uh, it, you, as you fellas have said, you've had plenty of contacts on your uh, phone and messages, and uh, I've certainly been inundated myself. So uh, we'll see what part two will bring. I'm hoping to get that up in the <laughs> next day or so. So um, yeah, I think that I think I've probably said enough now with. Um, <laughs> given that it's already on the side and having plenty of discussion. So, All right, uh, all right. right. Before we get into the grab bag of NRL news, which has got some uh, eclectic stuff this week, honestly, I'm going to go in on someone uh, about something really stupid that was said that I think you boys will agree with. But before we go down there, let's take a little segue. Uh, Quinn, I'm going to throw it to you because you've got a nice little mix-up for us this week. Yeah, look, a a change of pace, uh, particularly given what's been a hard week for all your supporters. I thought I'd throw it to you guys to um, 
to recall when your first NRL game experience was because I have the uh, astute honour this weekend of taking my nephew Miguel to his first Eels game on Sunday against the Dragons. And uh, it got me reflective about my, uh, reflecting on my first NRL game that I went to as a kid. And you know, I, I wanted to throw to you boys and, and um, I guess um, have a little bit of chat around the, uh, around the, um, the fireplace and, and um, recollect on what was your first Eels game. So are you going to me as the older person who would have had the earliest experience as an Eels supporter? Look, 60s, you can interpret that as, as, as whatever way you like. I'm, I'm just happy to hear whatever the answer is. Okay. Well, obviously the name 60s came from the fact <laughs> that came from the fact that I was born in the 60s. So that then means that my very first rugby league experience was in the 1960s. And when we're talking about something that is so long ago, the the memory of the first game is is probably pretty scatter. As a as a little kid, I suspect I was under five for the first wow. because all I can remember is struggling to keep up with dad, like walking. And I and I from memory, I think we were just walk, we were walking down Victoria Road down to Cumberland Oval. And I think he was with some of his friends, and I was like in a in a uh, a jog walk, as you see little kids do to try to keep up with <laughs> with adults that are that are walking quickly, heading somewhere. And then really from there, it was a case of um, trying to see the game between people who were standing up, which I think at the old Cumberland Oval was not a an unusual. Um, scenario like once you got to a crowd of about 12,000 and upwards then you'd see people standing out on the hill so my memory is is being over on what was the eastern hill trying to watch it but the next recollection I have is is again a fairly similar age except this time it was the family being there and uh, some of you might have met my younger brother Grant who's two years younger than me and he probably hasn't changed over the years. He was a little bit hyperactive as a kid. No, he's very <laughs> hyperactive as a kid. And my main memory of that was when full time happened and people got up and went, he got up and went with everyone else. And we're sitting there and he's gone. And obviously mum and dad went into complete meltdown that he was gone. At that time in the 60s, there were, there'd been a couple of high-profile cases of kids going missing. And uh, they looked everywhere. We finally, we got outside the gate and there was a person standing there holding Grant's hand, waiting for what they suspected would be his parents coming out, looking, searching frantically. So we did find Isn't him. Isn't that lovely? You, you, you know, just as a, as a slight segue, you don't see that type of communal behaviour anymore across no. society. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's lovely to hear a story like that. And, you know, there's members of you know, the Eels community in this instance looking out for each other, immediately identifying this is a kid without their parents. They'd probably wandered off and they would be very worried and concerned um, about not, 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 just, not his, just his whereabouts, but his well-being and, and the parents and the family's well-being as well. So to, to have that awareness to stop and do that, you just don't see that level of care anymore. And, and you know what? Apart from that, I have just like just a collection of memories of some of the characters that were out in the ground, around the ground, and the things they'd yell out, and the you know, and the the hot dog sellers, and the the 
the ones that sell the peanuts in the shell or sugar coated, the <laughs> the the players, the um, the volunteers going around selling doubles, um, yeah. And so it was really, you know, what it was more it was more about the people around than the game itself. I I, I have very vague memories of some of the players of the sixties, uh, very vague memories of of the likes of Ken Thornett and Dick Thornett and Ron Lynch and. Um, all the players that are well known from back then, it was more the characters. So it was like the, it was the surroundings of football. It was it was the the atmosphere, the um, the cauldron that was there, the characters that used to love watching football that that got me hooked. And um, yeah, Parramatta was the local team, so um, that was it. But look, I've. I brought on a little bit of a treat because I've got Yoko with me. <laughs> Yoko would have had her first experience going to an Eels game. You might be able to help me with the year, fellas, because um, it was the year that um, in a particular game, uh, Piggy Riddell did his dance in the end goal after scoring a try. Are we, uh, are we talking about 2000? There we go, 2005. I actually researched this. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so she, she's got this. So, um, but that's not my memorable moment of the game. Okay, so I'll let I'll let her share the. Uh, this is her first experience. Well, that's not strictly true either. So, being that, <laughs> being that I'm actually from New Zealand, my first NRL experience was a Para and Warriors game which I don't really have very many recollections about because I just sort of went because, you know, Craig liked Parramatta. Um, so, but I, what I would count as my first real NRL experience is my first NRL game here in Australia because there is no comparison. So um, it was uh, the Eels versus the Bulldogs in the old Paris Stadium. Um, and I would say it would have been a full house, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my first comment that I had, that I said to uh, Craig when we were there was, this shit is whack. I had <laughs> I'd never been, I'd never experienced anything like it before. Just the amount of people all crammed into this space, just screaming and carrying on because, of course, it was the Bulldogs in Paris, so always sort of a good game to go to. Um, and, yes, so... If that was the game when Piggy Riddell did the dance, that I don't recall, but I do recall <laughs> there was a very large man sitting not far from us screaming at Braith and Asta or about Braith and Asta going, look at what you bought, Ricky! Look at what you bought! <laughs> so he must have maybe been having a good game. I really don't know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my uh, recollections of that was just so many people... <laughs> And the drums and just the noise. Yeah. If I uh, if I recall correctly as well, that was the game at Tamanata who broke his hand celebrating a try with a slam dunk. Oh, on well. the oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I remember that. <laughs> well, there you go, fellas. Uh, uh, first of all, Yoko's first appearance on uh, the tip sheet, and secondly, her. Um, first experience in Australia at a rugby league game. So I, I could have also mentioned her uh, first finals experience, which was 2009 when 
um, she almost uh, fell on a, a bulldog's water <laughs> at that at that memorable uh, finals match at at, at uh, ANZ Stadium, where um, yeah, the excitement of the Eels scoring a try and jumping up in the air, and um, yeah, these these poor older ladies that were in front of us, and um, they weren't too happy with the noise that we were making behind them and um yeah uh, fortunately uh chanel just managed to stop herself from from uh falling on top of them uh from you know from the row behind them but uh yeah, she nearly she because she just jumped up suddenly it was like that rush of blood to the head or from the head and it was almost <laughs> like yeah so anyway um yeah, just a different just a different take from someone seeing it as an adult as opposed to someone seeing it as a kid. So, um, John, what, what was yours? Because you were you were a country lad. Yeah, I grew up in Coffs Harbour, so my exposure to NRL was limited outside of, obviously, TV. We get the odd trial game. I honestly can't remember who played at the International Stadium there because, you know, everyone getting a buzz, but I wasn't invested in the teams. It was never Parramatta. Uh, so my path to actual attending games was quite interesting because uh, I think my first ever game I attended was a State of Origin game in, I want to say, 2002. Uh, I was playing in a state touch football tournament as, a, as part of the independent schools up against Catholic and uh, Combined High Schools. And uh, we were finishing training and the coaches came in and said, oh, we got some cheap tickets for State of Origin if everyone wants to go, $5 each. I was like, all right, $5 seems pretty good. And uh, I believe that was uh, Brett Hodgson playing fullback in that game uh, out at uh, the Olympic Stadium, Stadium Australia as it was back then. And then was that the one where um, Talis? No, did, did Talis no. get him in game three? No. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he actually had a good game in this one. Uh, so that, yeah, that was... I think he got a try on... That, that was his origin debut, and I think he scored a try yeah. in that game. Yeah, so I got to attend that one. And then the next year, uh, my dad's boss back then, because he, uh, he ran a, one of the... Like a massive independent uh, grocer. Uh, my dad's boss was located in Sydney, uh, and he's a Roosters fan, and he had uh, extra tickets to the grand final against the Panthers. So we did a, a road trip for that one and watched the Panthers break uh, their hearts uh, in 2003 and one of the few times I've actually cheered for the Panthers. Uh, so that was a good <laughs> one there. Um, and then after that, I think 2004 was my first actual game, time attending a Parramatta game. I was in Sydney visiting families and I'm pretty certain, if I can get my uh, head right, I'm pretty certain it was the round seven game against Cronulla where we ended up going down 18 to 14. But I remember Dean Witters causing some havoc down the right edge. I would have been sitting in what was then at Paramount Stadium, the uh, Cron the Cronin side, so where we we where we sit still sixties in the new stadium, um, and probably just a bit to the right of where we sat, and um, on the right side of halfway, and yeah, I remember uh, Widders causing some havoc there, but he was just getting pipped in that game, so it was a lot of fun, and it was great to finally be able to attend a game with um some family, because uh, my cousin who lived in Sydney still lives in Sydney at the time took us out there. Uh, but yeah, it took me a long time being in Coffs Harbour to actually attend the Parramatta game. And obviously I've been trying to remedy it since. Uh, but yeah, uh, a loss was my start uh, with the Parramatta Reels in attendance. Yep. Okay, Clint, you've you've raised it because you've got your nephew getting to his first NRL game uh, this week. So what about you? I have a very, very distinct uh, recollection of my first NRL game and I'm going to actually start with the circumstances that led to me going to this game. Look, it was not 
too long after, or sorry, I should say, it was, a, it was a few months after Stadium Australia had opened in 1999. And obviously it was in the lead up to the 2000 Olympics. They were trying to get um, some hype and, and utilization out of that venue. And that there was an exhibition um, NFL game that was brought out there in August of 1999. And I'd been badgering my father, you know, for uh, wanting to go to, um, to, to attend an NRL game and to attend an Eels game in particular, because I was long, long um, ingrained as a supporter by this point and just been badgering to go to a game. And, you know, times just hadn't lined up you know, with dad's work at that particular point in time in our lives. And, and likewise, um, you know, me playing a lot of weekend sport too, just not being able to physically get there. It's a little bit cost prohibitive for, for casual tickets for, for our family at that point in time as well. But we'd actually won some tickets to go to this NFL game. And the Eels were playing the Panthers at Parramatta Stadium on exactly the same day. And it turned out, you know, um, Dad having, having these tickets to this NFL game, he goes, are you interested in going to this? You know, it's, it's, it's a sold-out um, event. You know, and then this is at the point in time that the, the Olympic Stadium had well over 100,000 capacity. You know, it's going to be a pretty, um, pretty big event here. Um, and, and you know, once in a lifetime type of event. And I, and I said that I don't want to go to that. I want to go to an Eels game. And with that Eels game being on the same time, it sort of turned out that our neighbours had tickets for that Eels game. And we traded our NFL tickets for the, uh, for the NRL game at Parramatta Stadium on that, on, on, uh, on that August, I think it was a Sunday off the top of my head. Um, yeah, Sunday, the 8th of August, 1999. Um, to go out to Parramatta Stadium to watch the Eels play the Panthers. And um, I remember getting to the ground and making our way into, oh, probably would have been about the 30, 20-metre line of the Ben Kenthor net stand, um, meeting some other Eels supporters there who um, very kindly shared their fish and chips with me. And, you know, th th these were some guys that were, um, they were probably like early 20s at that point in time. I was nine years old at, at, at this point um, with my um, seven-year-old sister and my dad um, by my side. And um, it was a um, it was a very very eventful first game to go to because um, the Eels ended up being one point victors and there was three sin bins in the game as well. I remember Jim Dimmick from Parramatta being sin binned, likewise Matt Adamson and John Cross from Penrith both being sin binned, and um, Mark Guy getting a lot of attention from the Parramatta faithful. And you know, with, with, with the hype and excitement of all those events taking place and. Uh, ben Custo being the um, being the hero who kicked the field goal um, in that game. Um, it, uh, I, I was absolutely hooked from that point. And, um, you know, I'd been a member of the club for probably about 18 months prior to that, had a non-ticketed membership at that point where I'd just get the, 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 the little um, merchandise pack that was put together. And I think it was by that point that I started berating my dad that I want to do this every week or as much as possible. And, for a few years after that point, we, we, we started attending a few more casual games and um, Dad had grown up a Newtown supporter. So he had, he had sort of fallen out of love with the game. And I think it was by that point, you know, me, me becoming um, acquainted with um, rugby league from a, from, from a viewing perspective and a supporter's perspective, wanting to attend more, that helped him um, find his interest in it again. And you know, um, it wasn't too long after that that we'd both become season ticket holders. You know, it's uh, looking back on that. Was that the game where, when Dimmick was sent to the sin bin, there was audio 
of a game where where the referee said to Dimmick something about you know you've hit him. Um, <laughs> of course I did. I and then he goes, I, oh, "Of course I have. I smashed him." Right. I think you might be missing. I might be missing a word there. <laughs> yeah. we, we we selectively left it out. I remember the audio well because I remember there was a point in time that I had um, a um, a wave file of that audio, and you know, for for a very long time in my childhood, it was a source of, of great um, humour to me. But um, no, if, if if I recall correctly, I think that that particular sin binning moment happened in a game against North Sydney. Uh, but I could be wrong. I I feel like this is something Para through and through would know off the top of his head. Uh, look, look, possibly. Um, it, uh, that's if, I mean, if there was sports years back then, he would have been all over that because he's he, he has the sports years at games, so he can let us know what sort of communication goes down between <laughs> the, the, the official match officials and the players and, and what have you. And I'm talking about some of the communication you don't hear in the TV coverage at all. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, look, I, I mean, it was there's always great memories with the football. I, I I was able to, I mean, I grew up in an era which was a little bit safer, I think, anyway. Um, late, certainly during the, I, as I said, I, it was probably mid-60s when I started to be taken to the football. I was probably about 10 or 11 by the time I was allowed to go by myself to the football or, or to go with a friend. And that's because we lived at North Mead. We could we could walk to and from the ground. It was, it, you know, probably took about 25 minutes, half an hour, not much more than that. Um, growing, as I said, growing up at North Mead, it's, it, it wasn't wasn't what you'd call a um, a tiring walk to get into uh, that end of Parramatta from North Mead. And um, I used to sneak in at half time if I didn't have any money because they'd open the the old Cumberland Oval gates when it was half time to so the crowd could come out whenever they wanted to. And believe me, at half time in a lot of the games back then, the crowd was ready to leave. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and then as a teenager, I I started going by supporter bus to away games. Um, got the got the season ticket. To Cumberland Oval, which was a the old cardboard season ticket with the hole punch, and then that was it. You know, once once I started uh, going on my own, and then going and then going as a, a teenager to the away games, it was I was locked in. It was um, the football season was something that um, any any little bit of pocket money was spent on uh, all the magazines. It was spent on going yep. to the games. Um, and I'm sure mum and dad flung me a little bit of extra money as well to be able to squeeze all of that in. So, and and it's it's probably never changed. I've, I've probably continued to spend too much money on on football, <laughs> on the football, and and what oh, have you. We're, we're we're all guilty of it. I think uh, I think very similarly, Craig. There was probably a good two or three seasons there that I I had every copy of Big League. Yeah, actually, I think it was seasons 2002 to 2004 that I had um, every copy of Big League. And obviously, um, part of the, the thing that was obviously super impressionable on me and wanted to get all of that information was the, the record-breaking season that was 2001 preceding that. And by that point, after a couple of um, mediocre seasons, I, um, I dropped the habit. And then by 2005, we won another prime, uh, minor premiership again. So... You know, um, there was something I, I, I certainly um, um, made the connection in in my um, 
in my very, very early, um, late childhood, early teens at that point that my big league um, purchasing habit or lack thereof was a correlation between us having a good season or not. So, But, but mate, um, here's, here's the important point. The big league magazine was the official organ of the New South Wales Rugby League. Mm. Just emphasising that to you. That was its... Mm-hmm. I, I, no, I'm trying to think who's who would always say that. Was it Rex Mossop? Um, I'm sure it was I can, hear it, I can hear it in Rex's voice, but I'm not. You know, I'm, not I'm not sure if I'm um, if that's revisionist history or not on my yeah. part. It, look, it might be because you were you were probably um, too young when he was last on television. So last on, certainly certainly was too young when he was last on television with any regularity. But at the same time, you know, there was always sound bites everywhere. In you know whether whether, whether it was in little snippets of, of what would be shown on TV or, and, and archive footage and things like that, or, or likewise anything that might be um, periodically played in speakers um, throughout the grounds and of, of those times. You, you know, e- e- even, even as a kid who didn't have that, that those regular, t- uh, the, as regular touch points, you were certainly aware of who people like him were when you, when you start becoming more acquainted with rugby league. Well, you couldn't ever escape his tautology. So no, uh, mate, look, Really great for you to um, suggest that we have this discussion just to get a little bit more um, light-hearted and reminiscent after the heavy-duty discussion discussion of the Eels team list Tuesday and then uh, my post that's gone up about the Eels roster. So I think we're now ready. Now that we've that's that's sort of like that mental break that we needed. I think we're yeah. ready to tackle this we've had the list. Done. Yeah, we've had the palate cleanser. I think we're ready, John, to hit the NRL news. Yeah, let's power through it because we are running deep into this podcast. Let's start with an interesting one to come out of last round. Uh, The Panthers handled the Sharks comfortably. Was it 26-0, Uh, 28-0? 28-0 clean shutout there by the Panthers. But on the defensive side for the Cronulla Sharks, Cam McInnes carved out a little bit of history for himself, going over a tackle a minute, 81 tackles. In that loss, incredible. Three missed, one ineffective. So, you know, he kept the missed tackle count down real low, and yeah, powered out an insane amount of tackles. I've seen guys go sixty plus tackles before, uh, but this is uh, yeah, genuinely historic. So, well done to McInnes there. I'm interested in the blokes next to him who must be pretty low <laughs> <in their tackle. laughs> for him to get eighty. Like, seriously, and he either it. either he's either he's pulled a a Nathan Hindmarsh flop festival. For, for a large number of those tackles, or the blokes around him aren't making the tackles because for you to register eighty tackles, right? You, if you if you look at the minutes in possession for the opposing team, and then you can work out how many tackles per minute he would have had to have done in that game. I mean that that would be that would be astonishing just in. In that you could you could literally work out how many tackles per set that he would have been responsible for. While we're, while you're chatting away, I'm, I now want to take a, a dive <laughs> yeah, no, into please, that. Because it'd be interesting to know the, uh, the the possession stats for that game. Because you know you, you think for the opportunity to even make eighty one tackles, you know there, there's probably something like a at least a fifty five forty five, more likely a sixty forty possessions. Split at the at, at, at the very least uh, a fifty five forty five yeah. possession split. split. So well, um, it's here it goes. It's um, so the Panthers had sixty percent possession yeah. 
There we go. Time in possession was 33.49, which was a full 10 minutes more than the Sharks. Um, so let me see. How, has it got how many... Um, how many tackles that were made. So the Sharks made 407 tackles. So they're saying basically that McInnes made one in five tackles. Yeah, he's made 20% of the team's tackles. Yep, yep. And of that of that uh, 33 um, minutes in possession, um, so there's 251 runs that they've made. So... Uh, <laughs> He's made, if, if you're assuming every run is met with a tackle. Yeah, um, or a third, a third practically. A third, a third of all tackles. Like, what, do they never get out to the wing or is he lurking out on the wing? Like, <laughs> I, I, in all honesty, like, I know he's, he's obviously, his work rate has been phenomenal. But to get, to be credited with 80 tackles in a total team tackle count of 400. And as I said, you're, you're averaging, um, what, two and a half tackles per minute that the opposition's in possession. Like, astounding. that is astounding. Um, I mean, look, I guess it's possible, but it's, it's, it's probably more possible if every, if, say, four out of every tackles is up through the middle. And he's and he's not at marker. If he's made the tackle, got up and run back. Like you, as I said, you know, like I mean, you occasionally see people do two, three, maybe four tackles in succession. But my goodness, I imagine he and uh, Isaiah Yo were very familiar with each other come game end. Oh, <laughs> it, like it, it would have to be the case. But I mean, what's the um, the, the tackle count of of the others that are around him. So, uh, Britton Nakora's made seventeen tackles. So he's he's probably he might have might have bludged it a little bit. We got we got Blake Braley who uh, I'm just pulling up the stats now. He 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 is credited with forty five tackles, seven misses. Yep, yep. So I, he he was he was at least involved. Yes. Um, look, I guess the stats say there was very little that happened out wide because I'm just looking at the stats. Will Kennedy isn't credited with making a single tackle. Um, but no, he didn't play, did he? He's down to zero. Sorry, my apologies. I'm, I'm well, having a look. He had, he had five, he had five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he's, but then you've got, um, Sione Katoa, four tackles. Jesse Ramian, five. Connor Tracy, five. Uh, the big numbers are coming from Braden Trindle with 11. So, you know, the the outside backs aren't making, aren't making too many. But again, I just look at that and I go, 81. No one's ever going to get near that. But in all seriousness... Well, 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 we say that, but you know, human nature and, and, and the human spirit always somehow finds a way. Now, it might take a, a, a considerable time but um, before that happens, but, you know, um, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, because I feel like this is, is something you might know. It was, it was often the, the challenge around the, the four-minute 
breaking the four minute barrier for the mile run, I think it was. It mm-hmm. took it took something like you know, 70, 80 years. And um, I'm, I'm sure there's a listener out here who, who are able to um, direct me and correct me with the with the um, accurate stat with this, but it took something like 70, 80 years for that to, to be broken. And then within the space of five years, everyone was regularly doing it under that that time. But I'm not suggesting that people are gonna regularly be doing 81 tackles, you know, um, anything like that. But at the same time, you know, the, the old adage records are made to be broken, as it was in this instance, you know, I dare say there'll probably there'll probably be someone in the next couple of years who makes eighty two just to pip him just just to spite Cam McKenna to get their name <laughs> in the record book. Yeah, well, you, I mean, that was the that was a big thing when the uh, four minute mile was finally broken. It, no, it wasn't in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say that, but you know the the bloke was famous, Roger Bannister, mm. who was the 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 um, British runner was the 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 one who was famous for that uh four minute mile but um yeah you do you you're right i mean it's it's been it's been beaten that many times since then and i think it's um what it's it's heading towards three and a half minutes i think Mm. something like that i mean you can imagine um that when it was when you were a long way from um, from the four minutes uh, to suggest to someone that it could get down heading towards three and a half would have been regarded as impossible. But um, humans being what they are, as you said, um, you do wonder where that where the limit is, however, because there mm. has to be a logical end where no one can get past a certain time, where someone will come out with some freakish time and no one will be able to beat it ever again because it just isn't. <laughs> It, as they, as the saying goes, it's not humanly possible. Well, I, I still, I'm still going to be stunned if anyone ever gets up over that 80 tackles in a game. I, I, I guess we've had situations where players have got over the 60 tackle mark, um, and and you have to have that scenario where a team has to really dominate, the opposition has to dominate. Yeah, got to, in possession. Um, the unfortunate but, reality is you've got to be getting your backsides kicked to be an opportunity to make that many tackles. Yeah. So. Yes, it's not a yes. record you necessarily want to be in a position to get. Um, no, no. <laughs> you know what? It's probably a case where, uh, because the Sharks defended as much as they did, without conceding as many tries as they could have, like maybe there were other teams that might have conceded a lot more tries than the Sharks. True. The fact mm. that they were defending and holding on for a large, a long period of that game, you know, probably does contribute towards that. So, anyway, yeah, big, big new record to Ken McInnes. And uh, moving on now, uh, the Melbourne Storm raised eyebrows and got plenty of noses out of joint last week when, ironically, against the Parramatta Eels, they celebrated, was it 25 years of NRL premierships? Uh, and, you know, fair enough, going back to their 98 title or 99 title, whichever one it was. 99. 99. Uh, you know, fair enough with that one and a couple other ones, but the uh, the cheating bastards are still celebrating 2009 and 2007. And, yeah... It's it's rubbed us the wrong way for a long time, boys. And uh, going back to when it all uh, came out in 2010, and all the discussions about who should be awarded the the title in vacancy, uh, you know, and, and all those sort of things. But the fact that the Melbourne Storm players were never punished, even though some of them knowingly signed two contracts, and the carry on has been about how unfair the players were treated in the wake of that, uh, came up again with Billy Slater, who's been. One of rugby league's leading men this year, if the way he's championed the Queensland team to a series title or a series uh, 
championship in the uh, State of Origin uh, arena, but he's come out with a very out-of-touch, reality-deflection-zone sort of uh, take on all this. Um, he has defended his club celebrating the 07 and 09 titles, which were uh, cheated against Manly and Parramatta in particular, although, of course, the argument being that there are other teams that run to the grand final that also got done. Mm-hmm. Um Although he was beat the top four in the run to the grand final in 2009, so you know, just saying, just saying. Um, <clears throat> moving on, uh, this is a, a quote from Billy in regards to his argument as to why the players should be able to celebrate the titles. Uh, so, do we just wipe their careers, or do we acknowledge that they contributed to the game? They went through the pre-seasons, they went and put their bodies on the line. I can understand people's opinions and the decisions uh, not to approve of that. But I think looking at it from a point of view that it wasn't televised, it was done to a crowd of storm people and was done to the players, or for the players, sorry. Uh, if you don't like someone's haircut when you're walking down the street, do you go and voice your opinion to them or do you just keep walking and ignore it? If you don't what? like it, just ignore it and move on with your life. So like I said, the reality deflection zone in full effect right mm. there. Uh, this, the NRL made a massive is- mistake when they allowed mm. the storm to keep the trophies, to keep celebrating these titles as if they uh, had won them. They should have come down incredibly hard on this stuff. They should have been struck from the records. Uh, they should have, in, in my opinion, promoted Manly and Parramatta to the uh, vacant titles, even though it would have been a you know bittersweet pill for both those teams. Uh, the fact that they've allowed Melbourne to carry on like this for years now has created this culture in, in Melbourne that is yep. just, frankly, bizarre. We, yeah. What it's done is it's enabled the disassociation that's that's happening with this, and the, the the thing that really gripes me about this is that the players have absolutely separated themselves from the actions yep. of some of the administrative officials. Yep. When it's the club who has been punished, and they, as employees and members of the club, suffer the consequences. Now, I get that for, for quite a few of the players that are there, and you know, uh, um, hopefully all of them, that they're unaware of the actions that took place there. But you suffer the consequences as a club. You celebrate the wins as the club. You you suffer the losses as a club. And to, to, to completely say, yeah, but you know, that's 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 um that that was them, that wasn't us. You know, to you know, Billy Billy's using the example of, of, of someone with a haircut and voicing their opinion, you know, it's it's also the same as like, oh if you see you know, with using that me- um um methodology of thought, oh you you see someone doing something illegal, um and then you're later questioned or you, you you just oh because you weren't the one that's involved in it you you, you choose to absolve the truth it's like well yeah, that that's that's called obstruction of justice <laughs> yeah it's a it's a ter- look, terrible john, analogy from billy yeah my, oh. look my my take on this john is that the players it, it's they've got this ass about right they have the memories they have the photos they have the video that they can be happy. They can be. They should be grateful that they got to experience. Because when other clubs have been caught out, they've been caught out during the season, and they've had points stripped off them, so they never got a chance to compete for the title like they did. So when the Eels got into trouble in 2016, they were entrenched up in the in the uh, in the top eight. And in fact, we might have been in the top four from memory, right? Had 12 points stripped off them, had to shed players in the season, still won enough games with players that were shed to have qualified for finals football. But no, we didn't play finals football because we were caught during the season. 
we were caught during the season. That ended any hopes of playing finals football. The fact that the Melbourne Storm didn't get caught during the season or those seasons meant that those players were able to have experiences and memories that they didn't deserve to have. Mm-hmm. So, do they, so do they deserve to celebrate it? No, they don't. And that's the thing that people should point out to them whenever you get um, such um, dickhead takes and, and, and maybe that's wrong of me to call. I, I don't mean to call um, Billy Slater a dickhead. I but, think but it is disassociated. Yeah, it, it is a terror. Yeah, absolutely yeah. disassociated. In, in this particular instance, it is a real shit take. Like, Billy's obviously oh. a, a good a good bloke, as good yeah, as a yeah, Queenslander he, can be, I suppose. Mm. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll agree there. But the thing is, he's, you know, when you were when you were just taking such a one-sided view, if, if you cannot, as you said, it's disassociated, he's... He is not able to see this from other people's perspectives, genuinely, because if and, he and they don't want to either. No, because you know they can say, "Oh, but look, we this is something that we achieved." Again, you were allowed to achieve that despite cheating, because you weren't caught in the seasons when it happened. Because you weren't caught doesn't mean that you didn't do the wrong thing. You were allowed to achieve something that other clubs weren't allowed to achieve because no one else, well, other teams that have cheated and won yeah. the to- and, and were competing for the title never got to never got to win the title where they were caught mid-season. And those teams that you played against when you had an unfair advantage never got the chance to try to advance to the, the grand finals to take on Parramatta and Manly because of the fact that they you cheated them out of a place. Mm-hmm. You took premiership points off other teams every time you took the field mm-hmm. with uh, with a stronger team than what every other team was allowed to have. No, you don't deserve to celebrate it because, you know what, you had your time to celebrate it. You got your cheating celebration time. You got the videos to look back on. You've got the photos to look back on. You've got your, your premiership rings and, to, and in that regard, 60s, yep. you look at the Parramatta team in 09, and that, that weren't, they weren't the only Parramatta team to have been hurt by that Melbourne uh, Melbourne Storm squad in that period, by the way. Uh, mm. In previous years, we've been credible final threats to be knocked out by Melbourne each time, I think. Uh, yep. But yep. 2009 was the grand final, obviously. So you're talking about in club legends like Luke Burt, Nathan Kalis, Nathan Highmarsh, Fui Fui Moi Moi, even guys like Ben Smith and, yes, Jared Hayne. I know that there's other stuff at play there, but their rugby league legacies and their futures change massively based on that. Guys like Chris Naninu, Joel Reddy, Eric Grove Jr., mm-hmm. you know, Fuli, uh, Fleti Mateo, Joe Nullivale, who I know had success at Manly, but uh, Tim Manor, like all these yep. great clubmen. Jeff Robson, what a story that would have been if uh, he could have taken us to the, the grand final title. And obviously Daniel Mortar would go on to win with the Roosters as part of uh, their bench rotation. But yeah, so many... Legacies and rugby league careers completely altered by their was it, actions. Was it two thousand? Was it was it two thousand and seven that the storm also knocked us out yeah, in the final? Yeah, two thousand seven. The, the, think, grand, the grand final qualifier of 07 and in week one of oh six. There you yeah. Go. So week one of that, that, is when that contentious Glenn Morrison no try happened, and then oh seven was the grand final qualifier where we came within um, a, a breath of taking, it and there was the. 
There was the, I think it was what later became branded as the first um, chicken wing that tore Nathan Callis's peck in that grand final qualifier. Yeah. See, the, the problem is, and and like I can see the logic in this, we can never be awarded the titles for those years where the storm didn't Agreed. get. And, and, and to, to the people that are listening here, I, I don't want to speak out of turn and speak on your behalf. I don't want to be awarded that either. I, this is certainly, um, us speaking about this isn't about um, seeking that as, as, as some form of um, um, social redemption for it. It's very much, um, and, and sorry to interrupt on you, on, on you there, Craig, but it's very much about um, calling the attention to the standard that we want um, these indiscretions to be held to um, for the past and if there's anything like that in the future. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, with um, for as much as the Eels and Manly were the competing teams in the grand final those years, the teams that the Storm beat on their way to the grand final, uh, yep. you know, it, it could, you know, literally say, look... We missed out on the chance to, to get to play in the grand final, to get to play against Parramatta. You know, like it's and and that's just fact. And Melbourne mm-hmm. took Melbourne took yeah. points off all the other teams. I, I, I do take an alternate point of view there because the Eels were so hot that year. They beat seeds one, two and three in the final series. And it took seed four, who were cheating the cap by a massive amount relative to the cap of that era. I do understand that you can't award an in absentee title thing, but I do think that no one else beats Parramatta in that final series. Oh no! Like if if I'm talking hypothetically, that's that's the year that we were going to win, and it was che- and we were cheated out of it. So I agree wholeheartedly with that, but I think um, you know probably if they polled the players, the Parramatta players. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. They yeah. you know if they didn't get to celebrate it on the day, yeah, they're so probably empty. not going to celebrate it down the track. So empty, yeah. Yeah, it, that's it. That's it. One hundred percent. It's empty. So, um, right, well, yeah. I don't know how we get through to the Melbourne Storm players to get rid of their, you know, reality deflection field there, but I probably can't do it at this point. But let's keep going with the Melbourne Storm and some actual positive news after Billy's uh, faux pas, probably underselling it there. Uh, but Ryan Pappenhausen, after that shattered kneecap, awful injury, is uh, making a major step towards an NRL return this week, boys. He's being selected in the Q Cup for the Sunshine Coast Falcons. Uh, Nick Manny's doing a wonderful job at fullback for the Storm, obviously. Uh, but Pappenhausen's a fantastic player to watch in full flight, and I just hope that this injury hasn't robbed him of any of his athleticism. Well, I guess we'll find out when they show footage of how he, how he plays mm-hmm. in that particular match. Um, if I'm a Melbourne Storm supporter... I don't have any expectations on this season. Agreed. Mm. And I think to have any expectations is unfair. If he bounces back and gets towards the Pappenhausen that was there before, absolutely astonishing. Mm-hmm. It'll be absolutely like, and I'm I'm talking about you. Everyone would should stand on their feet and applaud him because mm. um, it, you know he's he spent a good part of this year unable to run. And uh, we see how tough it can be for players who have, you know, significant injuries like that to come back and be anything like they were in their past. And, um, yeah, as I said, I'll, I'll, I'll stand and applaud if he if he gets back to NRL and is playing like the Ryan Pappenhausen of old. And I hope for 
from his perspective, and, I, and I'm sure this would be the case as well, that Craig Bellamy isn't the sort of coach that would throw him back into the NRL unless he could be close to himself. I don't think he put him through making an appearance unless he was up to making a, mm-hmm. an appearance. So um, I I think he would play the long game with him and, um, you know, get him back towards where he needs to be. And I think that's simply getting his confidence back, playing Q Cup, and if it works out that he, that he goes okay in his first match, a few more games in Q Cup and maybe finish the year there. Uh, maybe might end up on the bench for one or two games so he gets a little taste of it. Um, maybe be able to celebrate something with the Storm later in the year. But, yeah, uh, I you'd hope he wouldn't be rushed. Realistic expectations there, mate. And let's wrap up yeah. a couple of final pieces of news. Uh, Canterbury Bulldogs, they've done some housekeeping, making uh, Blake Taff and Jamin Salmon official as they continue to snap up each and every utility on the market. Expect Connor Watson to sign for them uh, in the coming days. I think they have met with him, by the way. So um, I'm not really sure. done a medical. Yeah, I'm not sure what their recruitment strategy really is at this point in time, uh, but it sure seems to be coveting players of utility value. So, yeah, if someone goes down next year, they're going to have about six guys that are going to put their hands up to play any given role. So... I suppose it's yeah. Sign them now. Sign them now. Work out the details yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, as we've uh, discussed <laughs> in the past. Uh, although I don't know how much this improves their roster, if we're being honest. No, uh, no, it's it, it doesn't. Um, but you, you know, by the same token, I don't think they're um, necessarily going to be cap compliant as yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's finish on a high note, boys. After all the saltiness, complaining, and uh, frustrations. Post try July has concluded. It is the first of August as we record this podcast, uh, and they've surpassed over a million dollars in lifetime charity funds raised. The 2023 iteration has raised, I believe, over four hundred thousand dollars, which will go towards rugby league stalwarts Daniel Anderson and Nathan Stapleton, both of whom have suffered from life changing injuries in the recent times, which is uh, fantastic to see. There were some great celebrations, boys, and look, I don't. I don't encourage sports betting in general, given that it's a bit of a uh, slippery slope and a rabbit hole and all that sort of stuff. But sports bet, to their credit, are on something good here. And it's nice to see uh, some great support going to people who really need it. Did you have a favourite try celebration from July? uh, Our our girls haven't done great stuff on the field in general so far, (laughs) but I do think the limbo bar set a very high bar, uh, somewhat uh, what's called uh, counterintuitively there. Uh, but there were some great ones across the park. Um, I think the NRLW has really been great in that regard. Uh, but I'm just trying to think from the NRL stuff, uh, who's had the best ones? Uh, I was a bit disappointed that none of the Origin teams did the grenade because uh, there was a big bounty on that uh, one from Sportsbet. Uh, but, yeah. I, oh, I, I tell you, I'll tell you what I enjoyed. I enjoyed Reed Marnie doing the crumb and, and uh, spoiling <laughs> <laughs> um, I was um I was hoping there'd be some more. Uh, there was a little bit of our WWE stuff, but I think last year we had the rock bottom. So I was I was hoping for a few more things like that. But I suppose uh, you start getting into the territory of maybe getting hurt when you incorporate wrestling moves. Uh, uh, you know what the the one that uh, there was another one that was spoiled that I was disappointed with, and I think it was John Hoppawati was going for the people's elbow one year. <laughs> he, bou- he bounced between the um, goalposts. And he was, uh, yeah, he was and about I, to drop the elbow. I think, um, was it, uh, which Cronulla play was it? Was it Toby Rudolph or was it uh, uh, the big hyphen there? Um, 
that managed to Hamian, actually pull Ham, Hamian Lueli, yeah, Lueli. I'm not sure if it was Rudolph or Hamian Lueli that managed to pull it off last year. He did the people's other. He did a great one one yeah. year. Yep, yep. So, um, Clint, have you got a favourite one from this year? Oh, look, um, uh, what he stole, the, um, he, he's echoing meatloaf and he's, he stole the w- words right out of my mouth. I won't, I won't go to the second part of those lyrics because um, <laughs> that, 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 that's where that analogy ends. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 the girl's limbo was, was absolutely um, my favourite for, um, for Try July. And, yeah, I'll, you know, back, I'll um, back the two of you there, yep. I've, I've, I think, um, you know, I've, what, I, I, what I, I love about Try July, though, is that there's, um, it, it's a great creative outlet for the players. And, um, you know, give, it, 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 it's a real feel-good story and, and great positive publicity for the game of rugby league. And, you know, it's nice to see that the, um, the betting agencies um, um, can contribute positively um, with it, you know, and, and, and for the causes that they're going to, you, you can't get much better than that. So it, it was, you know, It's a pity that it was a tough month for our Eels because we didn't see too many try yeah. celebrations even when we scored. Because yeah, they're very much uh, consolation handshakes and pats yeah, on the back, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and rush back to get in position to hopefully get another try. That was, yep. that was basically that was basically it. There wasn't there wasn't the big celebrations, um, and you know what? It's and, and I mean, look, that's a shame because uh, I mean, it's it, it was a great cause as as you mentioned the the fundraising that went on there and the fans enjoy it. It just didn't coincide with a great run for our eels, so we probably didn't get to enjoy it ourselves as, as much as others. We had to look forward to watching games of football that didn't involve our wheels to see some of the try celebrations so there's a uh, definitely a maddie john show skit in there somewhere about you know clubs appointing specialist uh, post-try consultants and getting guys like piggy riddell in to try and coach the older the new generation about how to correctly celebrate tries copyrighted yeah. trademark patented <laughs> maddie john show you have to be hitting up our good man john for any royalties of the use of that idea <laughs> mate i think i think we pioneered um, discussing specialist roles in clubs when uh, when we spoke to our favourite Tigers supporter in the early days of the podcast um, who had taken on a role as the um, the hairstylist team hairstylist um, <laughs> in in the in the in the bubble <laughs> for the Eels. So um, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Well, fellas, I think we've we've got to the end of what has been a another jam-packed podcast can i just mention as well that john and i are basically in residence at Parramatta leagues Bring club this back. weekend yeah we're, we're there both saturday and sunday so uh, i know Lean and Dion don't have anything on you boys uh, so <laughs> I, I mean it's not it's not one that the punters are, are going to be able to come and see first of all on the saturday but we're we're uh, in there with the uh, Blue and Gold Alliance Players Reunion on Saturday. So we're going to try to record some chats with some of the players of yesteryear. We'll be tucked away in the corner in Jack's Bar and Grill on their on their luncheon. Uh, John does have an official role in the in the function, so he's he's going to be looking forward to that. And then, of course, on the Sunday, we're there post match as usual in Jack's Bar and Grill with our podcast after the match. We haven't had. Um, any legend player confirmed, but geez, given that it's the um, blue and gold reunion on that weekend, I'd like to think there's someone that'll pop in and have a, have a bit of a chat with us after the game. We've got, we'll have no shortage of players there. They'll be doing their uh, lap of honour 
for people who at the game uh, against the Dragons on Sunday. Uh, yeah, so make sure that you're there to be able to give a warm round of applause uh, before the first grade game to the uh, former players and officials of the Eels in the Blue and Gold Alliance um, reunion day. And actually, it's a reunion weekend for them, but that'll be the reunion day on match day. So um, look forward to seeing you all at Parramatta Lees Club. Thanks once again to our sponsors, uh, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Thank you to everyone for listening in what has been a, uh, as I said, a jam-packed podcast. Thank you, Clint. Thank you, John. You've done magnificently well. Um, thank you as well to Yoko for making her first Woo. appearance on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and again, as I always say, go you mighty eels. <laughs> <laughs>